Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 331 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as ever, by former heavyweight world title challenger, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how you doing, my man? I'm good, my man. How about you? Always good when speaking with you, Eddie. Always good when speaking with you. Diving straight into the review part. We're going to waste no time. We're going to start at York Hall, the mecca of UK boxing. Uh, Bethnal Green, London, of course, over here at MTK Global Show. I didn't actually watch it, so I apologize if anyone's listening to me and they're, you know, hoping to find out what I felt uh, you know, the fights were like, I didn't see them, so I apologise. Um, just running through the two main fights, really. Uh, Danny Dignam with a win, now 14-0 and with a draw. He was able to knock out in six rounds Grant Dennis, who's now 17-4. and Dennis down three times in that sixth round there. It was for the WBO European middleweight title. Um, the shock on the card is Lee McGregor, 11-0 with a draw. A points draw over 10 rounds there against Diego Alberto Ruiz, who I think was an Argentinian fighter who'd been stopped by Michael Conlon. Um, the fight was made at Super Bantam as well. Um, and yeah, it was the referee here, Kieran McCann, that scored the contest as well as refereed it. So, um, so yeah, he actually scored it, obviously, five rounds to five. So a complete split. A lot of people saying, though, that... Um, um, you know, McGregor should have won the fight clearly, and it was a bad score from the referee. Obviously, I can sympathise with the referee a tiny bit. Um, obviously, judging and score, you know, judging, obviously scoring um, and refereeing a fight at the same time, I guess can be can be quite challenging. However, Kieran McCann is one of the younger referees out of all the ones we've got here in Britain, and that I think is his seventy second fight he's judged. So it's not like he's got tons and tons and tons of experience being a judge. So I just want to throw that in there. But perhaps this was one of the occasions where um, the fighter in question, I guess Lee McGregor, would have benefited from an extra two judges who were not refing the fight, of course, just solely judging. Uh, perhaps that was the case. But again, I haven't seen it. And what I've heard, the feedback is that he deserved to win the fight. Um, moving out now to the Alexandra Palace in, in London. Over here, this one, an Eddie Hearn show on the zone. This is where we really have to speak about some scorecards. Let's talk about the undercard first. A win for Hopi Price, now 7-0. and A TKO in the fourth round against Ricardo Roman, who's now 14-13 and with three draws. Roman down in the first round and once in the round in round four. Um... A win as well for Johnny Fisher, now 5-0. and The first time he's gone the distance as well, over six rounds against the Spanish heavyweight champion, Gabriel Nguma. Um, I think he's actually said, Gabriel Enjuema, I, I, I want to say. But anyway, um, Enjuema, now he is 10-12. and um, A tough guy, obviously. Been, I think it was eight or ten rounds with Oscar Rivas. If Johnny Fisher were to be able to put him away, it would have looked good. But he didn't do it. He was cut as well. 
from a head clash, I think it was in the first round, Johnny Fisher. It was quite a bad cut. Um, yeah, so that, that was kind of good to see him go to rounds there over six rounds. Um, what else do we have? Um, Austin Williams with a win. He's now 10-0, and a TKO in round six against Javier Maciel, who's now 33-16. and I think he's coming off about... I think he's now got about 10 losses in a row. He was down in the first round and twice in the sixth round. Um, Ellie Scottney with a win as well. A 10-round unanimous decision over two-minute rounds, of course. Um... Cut on her left eye in round three. Deducted a point as well in the fight. I can't remember which round it was. Very fortunate to pick up the win. I was quite shocked it was... Un- well, in fact, I wasn't shocked. I was I was kind of expecting it to go to her. But to see all three judges have it unanimously to her. Very, very... Uh, I'm not sure if surprising is the right word. But I, yeah, it has to be. I'm, I'm surprised that all three judges felt she won the fight. It was for the vacant WBA Intercontinental Female Super Bantamweight title. Um, Georgelina Guanini, the opponent, now 9-4 and four with two draws. Former world champion, of course, about two weights down. Uh, Ellie Scottney, yeah, bad performance from her. Really, really was. Um... Felix Cash with a win. Again, this one was a little bit controversial. He was down in round two. He was down in round 10. He also had a point deducted in round 10, so he lost that final round there, 10-7. However, still was able to to sweep the fight unanimously. All three judges siding with Felix Cash there for the vacant WBC international middleweight title against the undefeated Russian Magomed Madiev, who I said on last week's show just sounds like a murderer or something. I apologise. But anyways, Magomed was, was uh, you know, an animal. He was a beast. He looked a bit like Khabib and um, or a little bit of a cross between Khabib and Baturbiev. Um And yeah, I, I think he's a good fighter. I'd like to see him again. At the very least, he needs to be, you know, back on a big show in a big fight. Because Felix Cash, I don't know what to make of it. I mean, he was coming off of quite a... Uh, not a long, long, long layoff, but, you know, he wasn't really able to capitalise on his brilliant win over Denzel Bentley, and he's gone straight in with this guy here, and I think, I don't think it's been a whole year, but it's been a good few months now, and I don't know if it was any ring rust or something, but he just didn't look um, as good, you know, as, as I would have expected him to look. Again, we didn't know anything about the Russian. Maybe he was better than what we expected him to be, but... When Felix Cash is starting fight week saying he looked at the Eubank Jr. win over Liam Williams, uh, you know, he had Williams down four times, obviously, in the fight. Um, you know, when he when he said he, he watched it and felt that he would take Eubank out and look good doing it, and then he performs like that, he's down twice. Not not really a good look, but he, he does remain undefeated. 15, I know, he gets a new belt to add to the collection. Uh, moving on to the main event, another very controversial one. Daniel Jacobs now 37-4. and four. He lost a split decision over 12 rounds. No title on the line against Britain's very own and friend of the show, John Ryder, now 31-5. and five. Um, again, I've got to be honest, I absolutely love John Ryder. John Ryder's a guy who's been hard done by on the cards against Callum Smith for the world title. Hard done by on the cards against Rocky Fielding. Hard done by on the cards against Jack Armfield. Uh, you know, had a really close fight with Billy Joe Saunders. He has never really had the rub of the green, never really had any luck. But none of that has anything to do with Daniel Jacobs, and he shouldn't have to pay the price. Um... Anyway, I'm going to just just sum up the fight, really. I'm not going to go round by round, but I felt that early in the fight, Jacobs was way more active than Ryder. Ryder was unable to really establish any kind of rhythm. I think it was a quite 
quite fast-paced fight, and I felt it seemed to suit Jacobs more. Um, I felt Jacobs was a lot sharper than Ryder. He had better footwork. He had better judge of distance. He also, I felt, was better at fighting on the inside and getting his combinations off up close with that hand speed. I was unsure what Ryder's tactics were, and then that was pretty much how I saw it for the first six rounds. It was pretty much the same again and again. I didn't give Ryder really a round in the first six. I don't think, maybe maybe one, maybe one round. Um, in, in the second half of the fight, I mean, it was almost as if after round six ended, Jacobs just slipped out the ring and let his twin brother get in instead. Uh, he started taking big shots in round seven from John Ryder, who finished the round sensationally. Um, you know, he started kind of slow, and then he just picked up the pace as the round went on, and he came on so strong in the in the you know in the second half of the round, and he did exactly the same thing in round eight. Um, again, I'd say I probably gave the first six uh, to to Jacobs, maybe five one to Jacobs, but I certainly gave round seven and round eight to Ryder. Um, round nine, Ryder started kind of you know started working well, I think, in the early part of the round, but. Uh, the pressure kind of slowed, and I didn't think he finished as strong as he had done in the previous two rounds, seven and eight. It was a close round, round nine on my card. Most people gave it to Ryder. Eh, I'm not sure. Round ten I gave to Jacobs. I think he got back to jabbing and moving, and Ryder looked a little bit stagnant. Uh, Ryder, I felt, would need a knockout at that stage. Um, and then round 11 and 12, I actually gave 11 to Ryder. I thought that even though he won the round, he still needs a knockout on my card. And round 12, I actually gave to Jacobs. Um, Ryder, I felt, was a little bit disappointing in the final round. I felt he needed to just completely empty the tank and leave nothing, uh, or leave it all in the ring, as they say. Uh, so on my card, unofficially, very unofficially, I gave it maybe 9-3 to Jacobs, maybe 8-4 to Jacobs, something like that. I don't think I could give Ryder five rounds. I certainly couldn't give him six, and I certainly couldn't give him seven, like two of the judges, I believe, did. Uh, I think it was a French judge and a British judge, uh, if I'm not mistaken. No, sorry, it was a French judge and I think an American judge that gave it to Ryder. But yeah, I've got to be honest, I, I didn't see it like that at all. Um, and as I say, he's had it against him so many times. There's not, a, a, you know, not really a guy in boxing that I'd like to see win a decision he didn't deserve more than John Ryder. I just want to say that I don't want anyone to win a decision that they don't deserve. But Ryder is probably the one guy that deserves it most. Um, but I am a little bit bitter about it. Just just a tiny bit, you know. I, I don't want to go in too hard. I, I, I love the fact that John has done this to go from British title level being knocked out against Nick Blackwell to come and beat, uh, you know, such a great fighter like Danny Jacobs. I mean, he's only been beaten by Canelo Golovkin and Dmitry Pirok. These guys are on a completely different, uh, completely different scale to John Ryder. But yeah, I will say once again, um, you know, Danny Jacobs hasn't looked his old self since moving up to 168. Um, but yeah, I mean, I want to see him back. I hope that's not the end of it for him. I wouldn't mind seeing a rematch, but I don't really see the point from John Ryder's point of view in, in having the rematch. But yeah, for me, I think Jacobs won it quite clear. But a lot of people that were actually at the fight say it, say that they saw it differently. So maybe on the TV it looked different. I don't know. But yeah, I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. And as I say, a split decision over 12 rounds there. 7-5, seven, 7-5 five, seven, five for Ryder, and 7-5 the other way for Jacobs. Uh, I think it was the British judge who gave it to Jacobs. That's it, though, for the review part of the show. The final thing for us to do before we wrap up part one is to welcome our special guest on this week's podcast. 
Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the undefeated middleweight prospect. It is, of course, Mr. Bradley Ray. Bradley, welcome back on the show, my man. Thanks for having me back, mate. It's good to be here. It's good to have you back. So, Brad, we last spoke back in uh, back in May. It was a couple months after the the uh, the brilliant Lee Cutler win. Since then, you've had just the one fight. Uh, of course, you're fighting in a couple of days' time on this Khan Brook undercard. But yeah, it would be rude not to ask about your last fight against Jez Smith. Um, what a fight! Obviously, Jez Smith isn't an easy night's work for anyone, and even on relatively late notice, uh, he showed that. But tell me about the fight. It was brilliant. Yeah, it was a it was a great fight to be involved in. It, it was a the type of type of fight that you know I've always kind of dreamed of being in, and you know the fights that I used to enjoy watching as a kid. And I think the fact that it was me my boxer debut, and you know I was I, I was on the the Sky Sports platform, and you know you had the commentary, and when I watched it back after it, it was like. Wow, you know, this is where I used to kind of aspire to be. So, you know, it, it it was great to be involved in a fight like that. And, you know, I'm just happy so many people enjoyed watching the fight. And, of course, in the fight itself, there were some really testing moments. Um, you know, he won a bunch of rounds. It was the first time for you going eight rounds as well. Do you feel you learned any valuable lessons in the fight? And if so, what did you learn? Yeah, definitely. You know, he's a very experienced fighter, Jez, and he's been in a been in there at a high level. Um, so you know, it it was I probably learned more in them eight rounds than I have done in the rest of my career. Um, you know, there were just just little things that that you know I've picked up on and I've tried to implement into this camp, and you know, I'll try and implement it into Saturday night. Um, one of the main things for me, which, which we talked about with my coach playing and my team, was them shots that you're blocking in sparring with them big 16-ounce gloves on, you know, with them little gloves they can sneak through. Um, so, yeah, it's something we've been working on a little bit more of the lateral movement and, and slipping and riding shots rather than just taking them on the gloves. You know, we, even if they don't feel hard and they don't feel like they're doing damage over time, they can build up. And, um, you know, on Saturday night, I'm not planning on coming out looking black and blue like I was after the Jez Smith fight. <laughs> and my last question on on, on Jez Smith, um, he's, of, of course, fighting Hamza Shiraz in Shiraz's first fight up at middleweight, obviously following that controversial win over uh, Bradley Skeet. Jez Smith, of course, been given quite a lot of notice for this one. I know it's a fight that you're looking forward to seeing. How do you see it playing out, Brad? You know, I think if if Shiraz boxes like he did against Skeet, I think it's going to be a very, very hard night for, uh, for him. Um, you know, Jez is no easy night for anyone. Always brings it. And, um, you know, he, 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 he's got a very high work rate, Jez. You know, he throws lots of shots. And if Hamza's not going to match it, you know, like, like against Skeet, I think, I think Jez could... Um, could cause nightmares for him and, you know, maybe even pull the pull the upset off. Um but, you know, Shiraz Shiraz is a very good fighter and, you know, I'm looking forward to see how he gets on at middleweight. You know, you, you don't know how much kind of making the weight has taken from him and you know, in his past few fights. And um, you know, it's another it's another valuable addition to a great division, you know, which I'm I'm involved with and there's just so many good fights to be made there. 
Yeah, no, 100%. And of course, let's talk about your next fight. In just over 48 hours now, you'll be in the ring at the Manchester Arena, a venue I know you, uh, you know, have have dreams of headlining one day. In the opposite corner stands this undefeated fighter, Craig McCarthy, a six foot one Southpaw. This is another very risky fight, Brad. A few in a row now for you. Yeah, you know, it, it's kind of just my mentality and it's the type of fight to what I'd be involved in and it's it's three in a row but you know I don't plan on stopping here you know I don't want easy fights I don't want you know padded records um you know I, I want to be I want to be in these big fights and on these entertaining shows and you know I want people to to to, to be tuning in to watch me and taking these types of fights are, are the way to do that it's funny because when I look with the bookies, you're the favourite quite big there. But there's this, I don't know if you know about this, there's there's this like boxing um, predictions kind of, I don't really know what to call it. It's like a boxing predictions app. And on the app, if you can predict everything right, it's free to play and you can win like uh, a share of the prize money if you get the most picks right on each week of fights. And when I looked at that, most people were picking, and these are all fans, most people were picking him, which I was quite surprised about. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great fight. What do you actually know about this guy, Brad? Because I'll hold my hands up and say I haven't seen much of him. You, you know what, mate? I've, um, I, well, my team have got a bit of a bit of experience and a bit of history with, with Craig McCarthy before. Um, he's boxed an ex-stable mate of mine that, the draw and his record was against uh, my old friend Chris Blaney. Um, so my coach Blaine and Ricky have had a camp against him before and, you know, they've been in the corner against him before. And, um, you know, I was at the fight. i seen it up close and personal. And he's a good fighter, mate. He's undefeated. His game, he comes to, he comes to win, comes to have a good southpaw. You know, he he's quite tricky, he's quite awkward and there's a lot of problems there that he can that he can cause. Um but you know, I, I'm confident that I've put the work in, in the gym and we've got the game plan right and you know, I think I, I'm just gonna show that I'm a level above him. And domestically, you touched on it, you know, there's so many brilliant fights to be made, so many big names, you're right up there now amongst these guys, the likes of you know, Danny Dignam, Denzel Bentley, Brian Rose, uh, Lina Shudofia, Nathan Heaney, and a, and a few others. Do any of those fights in particular excite you for the not-so-distant future now? Yeah, like I said, there's so many, so many at middleweight. For me, all, all the names that you just um, you you just reeled off a kind of in a bracket above me at the moment, there where I'm trying to get to be, you know, there on... 10, 12 round fights, title fights, and you know I, I'm pushing to get to get to that point. But because of my age and because I've got a bit of time on my side, you know I have I have the privilege of being able to take my time and get these rounds under my belt. You know this is another eight rounder on a Saturday night, and um, I think this is going to be my last eight rounder before we move up to tens, and then. Once I'm at them tens, you know that's when I can start looking at these title fights and these and these bigger names. I like it. I like it. And I want to ask you about the main event on Saturday night, Brad. I'm sure you're gonna have your fight. Uh, quickly jump in the shower, come back and sit ringside. How do you see the main event playing out, my man? You know what, I mean? I've been saying to everyone who's asked me, and it, it, it depends what day you ask me. I just keep changing my mind. I keep changing my mind. Um, I've been calm all week. 
been calm all week and then I don't know, just something at the public workout yesterday, I just I just had this feeling of Brook. Um I'm not gonna sit on the fence, man. I'm I'm gonna I've been any interviews before today, I've said can't, but you're getting my mind changed and going for Brook. I think Brook I think Brook might my um might catch him. But um you know, if you ask me tomorrow I might be back on can, who knows? Okay, so at this at this point, it's Brooke. Um, it's a fight, Brad, that has obviously been years and years and years in the making. It's been spoken about for years and years. Do you ever remember kind of being fixed on who you thought would win once upon a time? Or, you know, for, for most of this time, from about six years ago when it was first spoke about? Yeah, so, so someone asked me a good question the other day, which was, who do I think is going to win on Saturday? And I said, Khan, and is your opinion different if the fight would have happened six years ago? And I said, yeah, I think it is. You know, I, I think I think back then, Kel's timing um, would have would have made a big difference. Um, you know, I think like he is maybe maybe getting on a bit and he's not the fighter he was, and that's why he was picking Khan um, for his timing. Could maybe often it uh, he wouldn't be able to time the shots, but you know it. It's, I think back then I think Brooke would have caught him um, but obviously now I've changed my mind anyway and I think Brooke's going to do him anyway <laughs> and I want to ask you did you happen to see the video of Dominic Ingle downing a glass of Kel's sweat I have seen it yeah it yeah. Uh, wasn't, wasn't for me at all <laughs> <laughs> oh I, don't, I don't think I could get my coach doing that anyway no 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 and of course, my last one for you, Brad. Obviously, it was your birthday yesterday. Um, I'm guessing you did absolutely zero celebrating whatsoever. Um, will you get to celebrate the birthday after the fight, or would it have just been, uh, you know, too many days late? No, double celebrations on Saturday night. I think, mate, from uh, another another good win, another good performance, and um, you know, making up for that lost birthday. There we go, there we go. And just finally, Brad, if you've got any closing words to the listeners before we wrap it up, say whatever you like, my friend, the floor is yours. Just massive thank you to everyone, you know, who's um, who's been supporting me. You know, I've had a lot of new new followers and supporters since the Jeff Smith fight and, you know, people seem to seem to like my style and, you know, like, like, like the way I come across and, you know, it means a lot to me and, you know, just, just stay involved because there's so much more to come. Absolutely, they like your style, they like your mentality, your personality, they like the the role that you're on, these fights, you know, tough fight after tough fight recently, no one can be disappointed. Listen Brad, it's always a pleasure speaking with you my, my friend, best of luck for Saturday and we'll speak afterwards I'm sure. Thanks so much mate, I'll speak to you soon. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show, this part of course, the news part of the show. I'm going to start here with the fact that friend of the show, David Avanesian, will be fighting on March 19th. That one's going to be at the Wembley Arena. Um, He gets in with a fighter by the name of Oscari... I think his name's Finn, Oscari Metz, who's 15-0. He'll be the fifth defence there of David's EBU European welterweight title. Also on the undercard, we get to see Hamza Shiraz getting in with Jez Smith. So uh, all the best there to David Evanesian. Um, 
it's an undefeated fighter. It's not the fight everyone's searching for, but I think it's kind of um, a fight I think he needed to take to, you know, to hold on to the European title. I think the big fight will be coming after this one here. Um, in other news, Chris Colbert is now taking on the undefeated Dominican Olympian Hector Luis Garcia. Um, you know, Garcia, a guy that has had to step in on late notice after the WBA super featherweight world champion Roger Gutierrez has been forced out of the fight with a positive COVID-19 test. So that one, again, goes ahead February 26th. Um, what else do we have? What else do we have? Um, Probellum have signed Danny Dignam off of the, the back of his um, his win on the weekend. Um, what else do we have? Aaron Chalmers, who I believe is, I think he was in or is in Geordie Shaw, a hit uh, reality TV show over here. He had a couple of MMA fights, I believe, but now he's turned uh, to boxing and he will be um, he will be fighting on on uh, on Sky Sports. He's going to be. He signed some kind of promotional contract, I think, with Boxer. He's going to be trained by Adam Booth. So, um, yeah, all the best to him. Haven't seen anything of him. Um, what else do we have? Um, there's going to be a show on March 26th in London. Richard Briakpour returning to the ring. He gets in with, I think it's, yeah, it's Fabio Turchi. Or Fabio Turkey, I think he's actually said. Uh, the big punch in Italian. Who uh, who I've seen a couple times before. He's not a bad fighter, that Turkey. That's going to be a good fight there. And elsewhere on the undercard as well, it's a good fight I like between Mikel Lawal, who's fifteen and zero with nine KOs. He gets in with thirteen and zero Dion Juma, who um, is a fighter really that has oh, it's been such a slow burning career he's had. Uh, Caroline Dubois as well on the on the undercard. Um, Chris Congo on the undercard. Zach Chelly on the undercard. So yeah, it's good to see all those guys getting out there. Um, I believe that's it for the news part of the show. Yeah, that is it for the news part of the show. Moving on now then to the preview part of the show. Uh, we're going to start here at the Montreal Casino in Montreal. Quebec, Canada, over here, the main event is really the only fight worth mentioning, but we're going to see Arslanbek Makhmadov, who has a record of 13-0 with 13 KOs. He gets in with Marius Wack, 36-7 these days. That one there for the NABA heavyweight title and the NABF heavyweight title. Um, that is over 10 rounds there. I'm really excited for this guy's future because, you know, big puncher quite clearly... Uh, fresh in terms of his pro career, six foot five and a half, Russian of course, 32 years of age, so he's kind of at the peak age I guess really for a heavyweight, so I want to see him pushed uh, very soon and it seems like that's the kind of way he's going to get moved, you know, been in there with some decent fighters in the amateurs, stuff like that, got some good wins as well in the amateurs, um, so yeah, I want to see him pushed and I think we're going to see it very, very uh, very, very soon. I think he's going to be having those big fights very soon. He's coming off, actually, four first-round knockouts. The first one was against Samuel Peter, December 2019. We know it's not the, the Samuel Peter of old, the the, the, the the kind of guy that stepped in with Eddie when Eddie beat him. <laughs> 
I, I like that, Joe. That's right. It's different. This the total different guy. This one. totally different guy. He's he's no longer the Nigerian nightmare. He's very much the Nigerian wet dream these days. <laughs> um, but anyway. Oh my God! Did you just say that? <laughs> Whoa! Hey, listen. We, wet dream just, too. We've just come past. We've just come past Valentine's Day. I'm certainly. Uh, cranking it up here, but yeah, Samuel Peter with, with 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 a knockout over him back in December 2019, then a knockout in the first round against Dylan Carmen, then a knockout in the first round against Huey Fury victim Pavel Sauer, and then last time out a knockout in the first round against Erkan Tepper. So foot, so uh, four first round knockouts in a row. He gets in with Marius Waku. Is generally a durable fighter. Um, that's it for that one. Moving out now to Germany at the Universum Gym in Hamburg over here. Um, again, just the main event worth mentioning over here. Again, it's another big, uh, big punching heavyweight. We've got Zan Kasabutsky or Kosabutsky, 17 and 0, 16 KOs. Uh, it's over 10 rounds for the vacant WBC international heavyweight title. He gets in with Deontay Wilder victim and Frenchman Johan Duapus, who these days is 41 years of age, uh, coming off a win last time out in. Uh, November of 2021 against a guy with a losing record, but his last real big fight was Tony Yoka, where he was knocked out in a round back in September of 2020. And the last big one before that is when he lost to Big Baby Miller. Unbelievable how obviously Big Baby Miller, you know, found that drugs test and now hasn't been in the ring for almost three and a half years. I think there was some talent there, and um, it's a shame if we never see him in the ring again, I think. But going off on a bit of a tangent there, getting back on track, this one takes place at the Plaza Monumental in Tijuana, Baja California, Mexico, over here. Um, good undercard fight. I like this one here. William Zapida, who's always in a very interesting fight. 24-0, 22 KOs, and a 10-rounder against a guy called Yerl Cesar, who's 19-0 with 8 KOs. The Costa Rican fighter born in Nicaragua. So somebody's own must go there. I like that fight. Um, what else do we have? The main event really is the main attraction, of course. We've got Jaime Munguia in his 39th pro fight. He's 38-0, of course, coming off that win last time out over Gabe Rosado. It's good to see him back in uh, yeah, in the ring three months later after that. So he, he likes to be very active. He gets in with the undefeated American from Maryland, Demetrius Ballard, who uh, has a record of 21-0 with one draw. I would like to have seen Demetrius Andrade, but Ballard will do. Um, yeah, coming off a good win last time out against Paul Venezuela Jr. Um, looking down the record. I've seen the name various times because the way he spells his name always stands out. It's D um, apostrophe Metrius. So it's a, it's a, it's a cool sounding name. Um, but yeah, got to be honest, haven't really seen much of him, if any. So you'd expect Jaime Munguia to, to win the fight. It's in Mexico as well. Um, what else do we have? What else do we have? Let's move now to this one here at the RCC Boxing Academy in Ekaterinburg, Russia. This one over here is very interesting, actually. And by the way, if you're a betting man, not that I want to encourage that, but um, we've got on this card Zor Abdalayev, 14-1, the home fighter, of course, from Russia. The one loss came when he got knocked out, or he retired, actually, on his store after just four rounds against Devin Haney. Now, 
People criticise Devin Haney because Devin Haney doesn't really get knockouts, but this is the last guy that he knocked out, which was back in September of 2019. And this guy, we thought was quite a decent fighter till he got in the ring with Devin Haney and, like I say, was pulled out in the corner. Prior to this, he, he had a decent win against... Um, against, um, oh God, uh, Hank Lundy, and he looked quite good there. And really though, I think he's turned out to not be as good as we were hearing. But however, his last fight was a good win against former world champion uh, Dijan Zlatichanin, who by the way, these days hasn't done much since getting iced by Mikey Garcia, I think five years ago now. So he hasn't done much since then, hasn't looked like the same fighter. That's the guy that Abdullayev beat last time out, but I don't read much into that. He's getting in though, with Jorge Linares, who I think is a slight underdog, 47-6. and six. Um, His last fight was against Devin Haney, so they share that common opponent there. And remember, Linares went 12 with Devin Haney and had Haney in trouble in the later parts of that fight. So this, for me, I think is a win for Linares. And you can probably make a bit of money betting that. But um, I'm pretty sure he's a slight underdog. So maybe they're going to, I don't know, maybe he's not going to win it on the cards if it goes to the cards. But I tell you what, it's a really good fight. And Abdullayev isn't really a big puncher either. So, you know, Linares, when he loses, tends to get knocked out. I don't think he's going to get knocked out here. I think he's going to... I think he's going to win the fight. So that is where I'll, I'll be placing the little bet, I think, this weekend. Um, in other news, we're going to talk about this one here. It is the big one. It is the big one. It's going to be on pay-per-view over here. Not sure where it's being shown in the US. I'm sure it's going to be on TV somewhere. Um, let's start with this one. On the undercard, the 2020 or 2021, I'm not sure what it was really called, the Olympian, Fraser Clark of the UK. I think he medaled. I think he might have got a silver. Um, he makes his pro debut here. Um, elsewhere on the card, Vidal Riley, 4-0. He gets in with Wilberforce Shehepo, who's 25-13. and We've got Bradley Ray, who we spoke to a few moments ago, 11-0 in an eight-rounder against Craig McCarthy, who's 8-0 with a draw. Somebody's I must go. We've got Charlie Schofield, 17-1 in a 10-rounder for the English super middleweight title against the undefeated Jermaine Brown from Kingston-upon-Thames. Um, we've also got Natasha Jonas, 10-2 and two with a draw. She gets in with late replacement Chris Namus, who's 25-6. and six. This one's for the vacant WBO World Female Super Welterweight title. Chris Namus, a girl who um, I think has recently been campaigning at kind of like 154. She's been in with Emma Cozin, who of course went the distance the other week with Clarissa Shields. Um, and I don't think... I think she might have got stopped once in her six losses. I think she's been in with Cecilia Brackhouse as well. Um, she's quite tough. And Natasha Jonas is obviously the naturally smaller girl coming up in weight as well. Because this one's at 154, I forgot to mention. Or did I just mention it? Um, so, yeah, this is a big big uh, weight jump, for really, really, for Natasha Jonas, who's absolutely tiny. I think she's, what, she's more like a... Do you know what? I need to check it out because off the top of my head, I'm thinking Natasha Jonas is like a super feather or something like that. Um, she's Yeah, she's been campaigning at yeah, super feather, at lightweight. Her last one was for no belt, so she weighed in just underneath the limit for super lightweight. But she's certainly not a super welter. I mean, God. So um, that's going to be interesting. And she's a bit of a puncher, Jonas, you know. But I don't think she's going to be able to put this lady away. So I think Jonas on points there. And hopefully she becomes a world champion. Because that was something that we all thought was going to happen. And um, 
it didn't happen as soon as most people predicted, and this is probably last chance saloon for her, really, you know what I mean, she's 10-2 and two with a draw, she's 37 years of age now, so the clock has been ticking, and this is probably last chance saloon, she's probably not going to get a better chance than this, and the weight isn't ideal, but I think I think she's going to do it, I really do, I don't think Chris Namus is that great, but certainly has the edge and experience, I think that goes to points, and Jonas gets it. And the main event is about six years too late, but you know what? We're still going to tune in with excitement, maybe even more excitement now, probably not as much excitement, but it's still very exciting because it's kind of like the battle of who has got the, 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 the most left or who is the least shot at this point. We've got Amir Khan. Former world champion, of course, 34-5, and five, stepping in with Kel Brook, 39-3 and three, over 12 rounds. No title on the line. Um, Amir Khan hasn't been in the ring for two and a half years since he knocked out Billy Dibb in Saudi, Saudi Arabia. And Kel Brook, of course, coming off that loss last time out to Terence Crawford back in November 2020. Um, you know, it's a crazy fight. Eddie, because, you know, it's a fight, obviously, that there's been bad blood for years about, and, you know, we wanted to see it years ago, it would have been a great fight years ago, obviously, as I say, it's still exciting now, the only thing is, Amir Khan is the the, the, the much more accomplished fighter, with the better wins, and all the rest of that, but, I mean, how long has, you know, how long has, has Khan not been a world champion for, I'm actually going to have a little sneaky look, he hasn't been a champion since, um, Boy, boy, we're really going back here. He hasn't been a champion since he, I think, I think he lost his belt to Lamont Peterson and hasn't been a world champion since then. That's 11 years ago. This is a guy that certainly has, you know, his best days well behind him. I think Kel Brook uh, became champion after that, didn't he, when he when he beat Sean Porter. Um, the thing is, the thing that's a little bit concerning for me is, Eddie, that when you look at, Amir Khan's wins at welterweight. He doesn't really have any great wins at welterweight. Obviously, he came up, you know, when he when he first turned pro, was campaigning at um, at lightweight, wasn't he? I think, and then he moves up to to to, to super lightweight to one forty, becomes champion, all the rest of it. When he goes up to one four seven, you know, he's been in there with Louis Calazzo, Devin Alexander, Chris Algieri. And that was really it. He had the fight with Canelo, obviously got knocked out. Had the fight with Phil LaGreco, Samuel Vargas, um, you know, got stopped by Terence Crawford. Then he had the fight with Billy Dibb. His wins, you know, his 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 wins at 147 are not that great. And Kel Brook, as we know, is a huge, huge 147. The fight's being made here at 149. There's concerns that Brook is still going to really struggle with the weight. But, um... Yeah, he certainly punches hard enough, Kel Brook, and we know that Khan doesn't take a shot great. He never has done, and I'm not sure if he'll be able to take a great one in 2022. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, one of those things with, with this fight. I mean, you know, a lot of people have been waiting for this fight. I would have been so much nicer had, had both of them been in their more of their prime, but um, it's just unfortunate that it had to happen now. It's kind of like the old folks... <laughs> fight at this point, but I think they're still both, you know, more than good enough to to put on a good show. But not to think about, oh, who's gonna, who are they gonna fight next? You know what I mean? Because if they're talking, if we're talking elites, they're not gonna be able to stand up under any of the elites at this point, or the serious prospects to challenge or 
are planning in the next year or so to challenge for a major title. But at least we still get the fight. So when you think about the uh, style matchup that goes along with it, I mean, you know, Kel Brook is, is as advertised. He's a big, strong, talented fighter. And Amir Khan, obviously, blazing speed. You know what I mean? Can can throw punches and bunches. Has good power. But, like we said, at 147, he hasn't really showed a lot of the class that he's been. I mean, he's don't get me wrong, he's still won fights and had, you know, and had good performances, but it's just not been at this weight. And not to mention to get in there with a guy as big and as good as Kell Brook. And we already know Khan has passed it, so it, it's going to be a tough one to call, man. I just, you know, I, I'm obviously, I'm thinking I'm going to favor Kell Brook in this at this point. Um, in Khan's career, I just don't see it being um, him, him being able to overcome, you know, where he is now in his career to to, to be able to beat Kell Brook. Kell Brook's, uh, well, I, I think it was his last fight with Terrence Crawford, right? Yeah, yeah. If I'm not mistaken. And he still looked mm. to be in good form, even though he got, when he got caught, that was it. You know what I'm saying? As he still looked to be in there in, 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 in doing some decent work. So, uh, if, 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 you know, at last looks, he's still not terribly, you know, he's not terrible. He's still able to show that he has class. So with that being said, um, I'm figuring that it's going to be Kell Brook. I'm hoping for, I'm hoping that Khan can take the shot and make this interesting and make it, you know, make the fight worth watching. You know what I mean? I mean, I still think because we've been waiting for, for so long, you know, these two uh, great UK guys, uh, even though, you know, I'm, I'm a guy from the States, I still, I still like this fight and always would have wanted to see it, you know, but um, even though it's took for, it took a while to happen, it's nice to see it's going on and uh, we'll just see what happens. I mean, at this point, it's still an interesting matchup, you know, style wise. So I just want to see what happens and is, is, is see who comes out on top, to be honest. Yeah. Kel Brook is the favorite with the bookies. Um, Kel Brook, obviously this will be his Forty-third pro fight. This will be Amir Khan's fortieth pro fight. Um, Amir Khan, I'm not sure, still has the speed he once had. Kell Brook, I don't think has the chin he once had because it really just shocked me how he got caught by Crawford and you know it seemed like his punch resistance had gone out of nowhere. And having said that, he didn't look great against I think it was Michael Zarafa a couple of fights before that. Both of them have, have not really looked... I mean, they're, they're past it. It's just as simple as that. They haven't looked great of late. But the thing is, I think... I mean, everyone knows it. This is a fight Kell Brook has wanted way more than Amir Khan has wanted. Um, you know, Kell Brook wanted to obviously make this make this money, this payday. wanted to get this payday. But more than that, there's the grudge there. There's the real genuine bad blood, the real genuine hatred between the pair. And I think that Kell Brooker's, you know, he's wanted this fight forever, really, from when it first got spoke about. And Amir Khan wanted to to basically take every other option on the table until he was left with just this. And then he, you know, he would make it happen because Kell Brook didn't have a bigger dance partner out there than Amir Khan. He never has had it. This is the biggest fight of his career, whereas, you know, Khan has got many fights that were big fights, especially in the States. You know, even him against Malinaji was a big fight. Um, him and Zab Judah, him and Danny Garcia, him and Canelo. 
you know, they've all been big fights, and I think he's ran out of other options, really, Amir Khan. So he's gone, okay, there's no one else to, to make a fight with. There's no other lucrative money-making offer on the table right now. And now it's time for Kell Brook, which, of course, Kell Brook would, would probably still fight Amir Khan if he was... Uh, he would come out of retirement after 10 years retirement to fight Amir Khan if it, if it could happen. I feel like Kelbrook needed this fight. He couldn't retire without it and he would have come back at any point for it, um, even if he didn't have any arms. Uh, you know, this is a fight he's always wanted. So I think that um, Kelbrook will be training like a madman for this fight because this is bragging rights. This is so deep and it certainly means a hell of a lot more to Brook than it does Khan. So I'm hoping Khan isn't cutting any corners. And I don't think he is because he's been out there in the States training with Terence Crawford, which is a bit strange. But obviously Crawford has actually had a fight with both of them. So um and, and obviously more recently with Brook. So um it's interesting. There's a lot of things to look at really. I know that um Terence Crawford has actually flown over to the UK as well to help Khan out with some last minute preparation. So I find that very interesting. They obviously respect Khan a lot in that camp, but I I do wonder what the sparring's like in that gym. Um, I don't have any insights in, into what it's been like. You know, you'd you'd imagine that um, he's he's doing a lot of rounds with Crawford. I don't know if that's a, a good or healthy thing to do before a fight like this. Uh, but I, I've heard from reputable sources that that Kell Brook is looking as sharp as ever. Uh, again, I don't know what it's going to be like when he removes the headgear and takes one on the chin or takes about 50 punches in five seconds, which Amir Khan likes to do. And also, we should remember that when you've got those headgear, you know, the headgear on, uh, you know, your, your, your eyes, your eye socket and stuff like that has padding around it. It's not going to be like that on fight night. When Amir Khan, which he will, will unload a combination like he does with his quick hands that maybe are not as quick as they used to be, uh, when he unloads that combination to the eyes of Kell Brook, you know, you're, you're going you're gonna to find something out. We're going to see what happens there. Kell Brook says his eyes are fine. He's got metal plates in them and he's, he's like a robot or whatever he said he is. Terminator, I think he said. Um, but we're going to see. We're going to see. And Amir Khan, can he take the shots? We don't know. Um, Kel Brook, will his eyes hold up? We don't know. Uh, but I think that Kel, Kel, providing he, he can take those shots, for me as well, is is a clear favourite. Um, providing his eye isn't a problem and his punch resistance hasn't completely gone, I think that he is the clear favourite for me. I think, like I say, he's been training like an absolute madman. And I think he'd probably rather die than lose this fight. And I, I don't say that lightly. I, I, I mean what I'm saying. That's how much he hates Amir Khan. That's how much he, he uh, you know, wouldn't want to go back to his family with a loss on his record to this man of all men. So we'll see. And uh, I hope it's going to be as good as what I've spoke it up to be. It's it's going to be great. It's a long time coming. And um, I hope that everyone listening to me can tune in and enjoy it. And I hope it's a great fight. I hope it doesn't come to an end too quickly. But I see it ending. I don't see it going the distance. I see it ending within the distance. Um, and I'm going to say a Brook KO if I was pushed. But um, yeah, I just don't see it going 12 rounds. I really don't see it. But anyway, that is it though for the preview part of the show. In part one, we did the reviewing. We welcomed our special guest. Then we've just wrapped up the news part and just now the preview part. The final thing for me to do is to come in with the outro, which I'll do in just a few seconds. 
Okay, and this wraps up episode 331 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A huge thank you to our special guest this week, the man that's fighting in just 48 hours' time. It is, of course, Bradley Ray. But even bigger than that is the thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in again and again and listening to myself and Eddie talk boxing every week, and mainly myself, just get my boxing thoughts off my chest each and every week but that's about everything from myself enjoy your weekends people i know you will stay safe and we shall see you all again next week